and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, which starts out with a question. It's quite a big question, and it kind of deals with a theme that I've dealt with, I suppose, on and off uh, for the last few years, at least in written form, and also on this podcast. The question is this, can photography festivals work? Or perhaps more appropriately, I should say, can they survive? The format festival here in the UK, up in Derby, is much diminished from what it used to be. The Diffusion Festival in South Wales seems to have gone. The Brighton Biennale similarly seems to have disappeared. But the photo fringe down there in Brighton still seems to work on a kind of a grassroots level. The Eye Festival in North Wales still continues, thanks to the determination of one person, as far as I'm aware, and Photo North thanks to two people. I hear that many people at Photo London, who spend a lot of money taking out stands and spaces with the hope of selling photography books and uh, prints, failed to sell as much as they needed and couldn't actually cover their costs. That points in an interesting direction and problem for next year. What happens when people don't exhibit, when they don't show up? The problem, of course, is that festivals built on a traditional template require funding. Suddenly, they need to pay people to get involved. Curators, art directors, creative directors, managing directors finance directors, marketing directors. Everybody seems to be a director. Very few of the people who seem to take the money are actually photographers, or perhaps more importantly, members of the photographic community. What this means is that these big organisations, as the festivals can become, start to become places for trustees to uh, implement agendas, perhaps to market themselves, market their companies, raise their profiles, earn a little bit of money on the side, maybe like a kind of photographic version of the Freemasons. The problem, of course, is that kind of money needs big investors. And as soon as big investors come on board, well, things change. Nobody puts in big money without expecting something big back. They'll expect promotion, big figures appearing on the website, large numbers are are turning up, perhaps database uh, growing, stealing, taking people's information, data capture, paying for portfolio reviews to help fund the overall festival something I'm totally and utterly against. Why should people who need the help the most have to pay to support something in that way? I think the current economic climate is going to provide an even bigger problem to festivals. During COVID, a lot of them tried to move online, and that was great. I spoke about it at the time that I really hoped that all of those talks and events and situations that occurred online would continue. And there's no doubt that some do. But at the same time, it's very difficult to monetize those events. Therefore, 
if you're looking for money to run a festival, they're not going to work for you. You need footfall. You need donors. You need friends of the festival. From my perspective, that's a broken model. I wonder what you think about that. I think if I ever put on a photo festival, it would have food carts. It would have bands playing. It would have music. It would have events for young kids. Maybe some face painting. It would be democratic. It would be open. It would be fun. And photography would be part of it, just as it's part of everything we do in our everyday community. It wouldn't be in white boxes, polite conversation, and little glasses of champagne. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him in under five minutes, Helio Michel, who was born and raised in Cuba and has worked in Mexico, Guatemala, Ecuador, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Peru and Brazil, all over the southern continent of America. A few months after the Cuban Revolution, Michel, then 17, went to New York City. Though he had intended to be a lawyer, he didn't enjoy school and took a series of jobs as a photographic assistant, mostly to fashion photographers. While he was picking up technical skills, he developed the habit of regularly expressing his contempt for the fashion world. His life changed when he took a photography class with Lisette Murdell, of all people, at the new school. In his first class, the students showed their work and Modell's critique reduced Mitchell to tears. But he returned to class and she later became a friend. He went on to photograph in the Middle East and Northern Ireland, but found himself somewhat lost, too art-based for newspapers and magazines, too journalistic for art galleries. He received two grants from the National Endowment for the Arts and published two books that have long been out of print, Timei Amas in 1991 and Triptych in 1990. Michel taught at the School of Visual Arts, Cooper Union, and the New School and continued to pursue his personal work. He is now retired from teaching and is trying to organise his unseen photographs of the last 20 years. Dear Grant, I am sorry, but I am unable to verbalize for five minutes about what does photography mean to me. The only way I can answer is by quoting Edward Hopper. He said, if you could say it in words, there would be no reason to paint. Thank you, Grant. Take care. <laughs> Thank you, Helio. What a great contribution. Perhaps the best contribution we've had so far in the 260-odd uh, episodes. As regular listeners know, I never listen to the contributions before I drop them into the podcast. So that is the first time I heard that contribution. Uh, and I love it. Uh, it's always under five minutes. And I think that is the most um, concise uh contribution we've ever had. So thank you so much for that. It only leaves me to, I suppose, implore you to go and look at his work. It is incredible and highly, highly uh, inspirational. So check him out. Whilst we're talking about archives and perhaps going into a, a little bit more depth, I recently uh, had a conversation with... Um, 
Craig Aitkinson at Cathay Royal Books uh, for the Royal Photographic Society. Uh, it was an online conversation. Guess what? It was free as well. And uh, I think it's going to be put up on the Royal Photographic Society website at some point. Not sure if it's there yet. But anyway, uh, really great conversation as always with Craig. Uh, but what was interesting was he was telling a story about a particular um, photographer whose work had come to him from that photographer, but then that photographer had kind of gone off the radar. Anyway, the information about it is this. The photographer was called Sean Plunkett. That's P-L-U-N-K-E-T-T. And uh, Sean was born in 1948, and he submitted to Craig... Uh, several series of work from his archive of 1970s uh, images that he'd made in the UK and overseas. Well, Craig worked through the sets and uh, with uh, Sean, I think, and they decided on which titles would be released and roughly when. But uh, as the books reached proof stage, uh, Craig, who hadn't heard from Sean for some time, didn't quite know what was going on, uh, received sad news from Sean's family that he'd actually died in early 2023. And Craig has decided that uh, he's going to release the books, um, thanks to the permission of the family, over the coming months in Sean's memory. Uh, They're available, Cafe Royal Books, as always, on their website. And Sean's work, after I heard uh, Craig talk about it, I tried to Google, tried to find stuff out, couldn't find out anything at all. But boy, is Sean's work strong. It's very much of its time. It's within that kind of aesthetic, that kind of um, Chris Killop world of seeing the UK at that time, maybe a little John Bulmer-ish, but without the colour. You know you know who I'm talking about, that that whole school of great uh, British documentary photographers in the 1970s and the late 1960s, very much working on the streets and documenting their local area. I think the first book that uh, Craig has published is on Hull in the 1970s. So uh, I'm definitely going to be buying those. Recommend that you do too. Whilst we're talking about people leaving us, um, just wanted to let you know that uh, Peter Silverton, Pete Silverton, who I spoke about on a previous episode, uh, regular writer for the United Nations of Photography uh, com, who passed, um, well, at his uh, funeral, at his cremation, uh, typical of Pete, he'd written the the text, the copy that he wanted read. And it was all about the fact of the, all around the crematorium, really, I suppose, and all the people who'd been there before and he had been there. It's a fascinating, beautiful piece of writing. And uh, his wife passed it on to me uh, so that uh, I had a record of it and I decided to share that record with you. So Pete's last words are on the United Nations of Photography.com website uh, where you can also read all of his writing about photography. Uh, his last words are not about photography. They're about life. But I think we all know that that is exactly what photography is about also. 
I don't know how many of you are involved in giving feedback to other people about their photographs, either within a camera club, perhaps workshops, perhaps within education to students, within teaching perhaps at schools. The supplying of feedback is always a uh, a tricky, well, it can be a tricky kind of a situation because it invariably relies upon the person whom you're giving the feedback to, what their expectation is. What is their expectation of that feedback? What is their expectation of what you're going to say? I always say that feedback isn't necessarily what you want to hear, it's what you maybe need to hear. But how that feedback is coached is really important to be empathetic, to be understanding, but at the same time, I believe, to always be honest. Which raises the question, I suppose, is it ever the case that um, you're too nice when you're giving feedback? I often hear from clients uh, when I give them work that, you know, we all know that when we've created work, we know which is our good work and which is perhaps not quite as strong as we could have done, but it's okay. And, you know, occasionally I, I hear from clients and they say, oh, it's really great. I love that. It's fantastic. And they're very uh, bullion in their praise, which is really lovely and really nice. But I can also look at that work and feel, yeah, it's okay but I think I could do better or perhaps I could have done better. And that that kind of self-reflection is important. Therefore, perhaps that idea of feedback being given overly supportive, and that is overly positive, creates a false uh, impression of the success of that work. Perhaps it takes people into a place which is not necessarily uh, constructive. I think that's worth thinking about. The idea of feedback is to express an opinion. It is not to give a subjective answer. There is no right or wrong. And I think as long as you give feedback and prior to doing it, you say, this is just my opinion. Uh, I might be wrong. I might be right. I don't know. But I really encourage you to ask other people as well so you can get as many opinions as possible. That then creates a very rigorous and healthy kind of approach to your photography. Ask as many people as possible, but don't ask the people who are going to just be nice to you for the sake of it because they either want to please you or they're scared of hurting your feelings. Feedback is essential. Formative feedback is the feedback that forms the work that we're making and us as people. I'm always happy to give feedback, but only if I understand the person's expectation that I'm giving it to. Just to finish off this week, I've had more emails from listeners, uh, readers, about AI raising issues around, is it appropriately called AI? Because it isn't artificial intelligence. Uh, No person is involved. All sorts of discussions going on around that and the semantics. Um, What I decided to do was to give it a go. And so I tried to create an image um, for a specific client to see if I could do it. Well, the answer is no. It didn't work at all. It looked like a very bad piece of digital art, which is, I have to say, um, what I'm seeing most of at the moment. Now, we are obviously in the very early days of this and the conversation continues. 
But I still do believe, and we'll be picking up with Bill Shapiro uh, with the conversation uh, in a week or so, um, the follow-on from from that, and where where Bill is still very strongly, um, I suppose, in a different camp to the one that I'm in. But I still remain in the camp I'm in that I cannot see that AI photography is going to kill photography um, 100%. There's still too much. Um, that we need to capture and create, which is true, which has actually happened. And I do think that the, you know, this issue around truth and lying without a shadow of a doubt, uh, just from a political perspective over the last couple of weeks, it does seem to be that even when the truth is proven through facts and evidence, uh, some of our politicians still feel that it's totally appropriate to deny reality and that they're going to get away with it by just speaking it. And I think that in a way, maybe that is colouring our uh, understanding of where I is specifically with relation to photography. So if you're really still not interested at all in this part of the conversation, and I'm starting to think that you are, because without a doubt, um, we've had the highest listening figures and the biggest kind of response we've had to anything uh, to our recent conversations with AI. It's obviously something that is on your mind. Anyway, um, I tried it. Uh, it didn't work at all. It's very clear to me that you're either going to have to be a real expert in it, perhaps like in post-production, um, or alternatively, we've just got to wait for better tools which are easier to use for complete simpletons like myself. Anyway, uh, as I said last week, uh, coming up over the following weeks, we've got specials pretty much every week. And certainly over the summer, the big three-part series of episodes um, titled The State of Photography. So don't forget to uh, look out and listen out for those. I'm going to try and have a bit of a break over the summer, but um, every year I try and do that, it never works. So I can't see why it's going to be any different from uh, this year, from previous years. What I do know is that we've had a few very hot days in the shed. It's now cooled down a little bit, enough for me to get in here and actually record this episode. Um, But as always, um, things are happening all the way around us. Social, economic, political, physical and spiritual. But whatever happens, I'm always going to take care and I hope you do too. (music) 